I'm not giving up because I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> but I can't speak for these people. <laughs> and live from New York, it's Saturday night! It's Saturday Night Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing the season 42 finale of Saturday Night Live with host Dwayne Johnson and musical guest Katy Perry. I'm John Murray, and I'm joined this week by Steve Finn, as well as our very special guest, Kendall Ketchum. Kendall is a New York-based stand-up comedian who listeners may know from Caroline's on Broadway and Gotham Comedy Club. And currently, she can be found opening for SNL alum Daryl Hammond on his nationwide tour. You can connect with Kendall at kendallketchum.com. And you can connect with us at snlafterparty.fm. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out, and they're greatly appreciated. All right, Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Dwayne Johnson. Okay, so season 42 is officially behind us. Uh, it was a season of soaring highs and a lot of memorable moments, a lot of culturally significant happenings, and uh, it really put the show back on top. Their ratings have never been better, and their finale was, I believe, one of the, the highest rated SNL finales, I think, in the last you know 10 years or so, so... They really staged a, a comeback this year, and I think they did their best to end on a high note. We're going to explore that a little bit and see if we feel like they stuck the landing or not. Uh, but before we get into that, let's just quickly go over a little bit of news and feedback. And uh, before we do that, I'm going to bring up our guest, though, because as a listener to the show, she's familiar with kind of how we do things, and we want her to be able to participate. So we're going to bring up Kendall. Uh, Kendall Ketchum, are you there? Hi. Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We're, we're glad that uh, we were able to make it work. So as our listeners uh, may be aware, Kendall is a working comedian up in New York, and she's been touring with Daryl Hammond recently. So there's a bit of overlap there with SNL. And uh, so we're excited to be able to get some of her insights on the show. So we got word a couple weeks ago that Bobby's CBS show had been picked up. So we knew that he was going to be heading out. But over the last couple of days, it came out as well that Vanessa Bayer was going to be exiting the show. Her seven-year contract was up, so it seemed like it was a fitting time. And she's got, I believe, a supporting role in a sitcom coming up. Uh, so, yeah, it kind of makes sense that she would exit the show. But interestingly, during the good nights, they carried Bobby and Vanessa off stage, kind of in tribute to them. And along with them, they also picked up Sashir and carried her off the stage, which has been a pretty clear indication to uh, most people that she's probably heading out as well. And I think that was actually confirmed this morning. So we have three relatively senior repertory players exiting the show. How do we feel about that? I had not heard that Sashir was, was possibly out. So that, that is really, that concerns me a little bit. I mean, you know, she's, she's gotten stronger and stronger as, as this has all gone on. And She's just, I felt like she was really hitting her stride. So I don't, you know, I didn't hear that, but, you know, I'm sure, you know, SNL always seems to find a way to, you know, get the people that have only been there, like some of the rookies who have only been there a little bit, 
you know, to kind of, they seem to always step up and make it work. Every time I get depressed about somebody leaving, it always seems to come together, you know, and it's, and you start to see people kind of like, you know, stick out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, of course, I'm so sad about Vanessa and Bobby leaving. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be really tough to replace. And now Sashir as well. I mean, I, that's, that's a tough hit. Mm-hmm. I was a little surprised by Sashir leaving as well. Cause like you said, it does seem like she was starting to gain a little bit of steam. Um, it doesn't seem like SNL's ever been kind of the perfect vehicle for, for her for many reasons that we don't really need to dig into, but yeah. <laughs> it did seem like season 42 was shaping up a little bit better. It, it seemed like she was more present, not always in the leading roles, but it just seemed like she was more visible and, and had a little bit more to do. And, I just, I've always appreciated her and what she brought to the show. And I, I was expecting that she'd be around longer. I can't say that I'm that surprised. I think we can all agree that Sashir did struggle to, you know, carve out a niche that she could provide on the show. Not to say that she isn't extremely talented. You know, we've definitely seen examples of her genius, but um, Saturday Night Live isn't the best place for every single performer and every single comedian to end up on. You know, I think Sashir is one of those, uh, one of those people. So now that she's had some exposure, at least on the show, hopefully she can utilize that as a springboard to something more appropriate for her talents. Yeah. A better vehicle. She was in Lauren's stable of talent before she was brought into the show. She was already on Broadway's radar. Yeah. And I think she'd participated in a few things. I can't remember exactly how she was associated with them, but they had already recognized her as a talent and respected her. So even though she's not a good fit for the show, I have a feeling that doesn't mean that there aren't still opportunities open to her. She just did a comedy special on CISO, which again is associated with kind of the NBC comedy sphere. So hopefully she's still kind of in the family, <laughs> you know, that hopefully there'll still be other doors that, that maybe she can walk through. Uh, only time will tell. I don't know what, what she's got cooking. There obviously hasn't been any big announcement on what she's pivoting to, but we certainly wish her well, or I do at least. <laughs> Yes, definitely. I mean, an NBC would be crazy to just, you know, turn her loose to whoever the highest bidder, basically. I mean, that she's just insanely talented and such a strong player in everything. So, yeah, they'd be crazy to uh, to just let her walk out. Yeah. And and they have really bizarre contracts when you sign up for SNL. So she might still be on the hook to kind of give them like first right of refusal on certain things or who who knows how she's still kind of (laughs) encumbered. But if there's something that they could use her for, I, like you said, they'd be stupid not to to jump at it. She is a a legitimate talent and it's, it's a shame that we weren't able to get something better from her on SNL. So anyways, so (laughs) sheer, she will be missed. Agreed. Now, There was a little bit of chatter earlier in the week that Tom Hanks was going to be stopping by SNL this weekend. And that did pan out. We obviously saw him in the monologue and David S. Pimpkins uh, (laughs) showed up. (laughs) So there was some truth to that rumor, but the scuttlebutt was that they were trying to cook up some situation where he was going to play Comey and that didn't materialize. So I'm not really sure what happened at the show that they scrapped that idea We'll probably never get a good answer on exactly what that was all about, but it is interesting that there was some angle that they were working for Tom Hanks and it probably would have been great for the finale episode to have sort of a tent pole like that, like a new Trump administration cold open with a, with a new celebrity impersonation that could have been a lot of fun, but it didn't happen. So uh, (laughs) we'll just, we'll have to uh, leave that to our imaginations to figure out what that could have been. I think Tom Hanks is a little too short to play Comey. 
Well, it could be, but you know, <laughs> that guy's like six foot eight. You can do a lot with, with cameras. Yeah, he's huge. <laughs> yeah. And when we come back in the fall, Comey will probably be old news. So there's probably no angle to be worked in future cold open. So I don't think that the Tom Hanks Comey connection is ever going to happen, but could have been interesting. New feedbacker giver Rachel asks, would you consider doing podcasts on older episodes over the summer? Oh. It would be so much fun to hear your takes on a recent era, such as the Will Ferrell times or any other classic season. It wouldn't even have to be weekly over the summer if you need a lighter load. And yes, Rachel, we absolutely do. It <laughs> would be sad to go all summer without your great podcast. Well, thank you so much. That's, that's so kind, Rachel. Aww. Now, it was a little self-serving that I, I added this to the show notes because this was something we were going to touch on anyways. With this being the season 42 finale, it does beg the question, are we going to disappear until October? And the answer is no. We are going to be doing some vintage rewatch casts over the summer. And if any listeners want to chime in and let us know which vintage episodes in particular they'd be interested in hearing us review, they're more than welcome to send us feedback and we'll do our best. We're also going to be covering the weekend update primetime specials that I think are dropping, I think mid August, something like that. So we've got a few things on our radar that we're going to be covering and hopefully fingers crossed, we're going to be able to tack down a couple interviews. And if we can get those in the can, then we'll, we'll put them out as well. So our hope is that we're going to be able to put out a cast probably every two weeks throughout the summer. So expect maybe I would say eight to 10 podcasts over the summer. That's, that's the current plan anyways. Now, before we jump into the episode, anytime that we get a, a comedian to pop on the cast, I want to kind of make the best use of the opportunity because I, I think it's personally fascinating to uh, hear a little bit about what it is that, that drives a comedian to pursue a career in comedy. So Kendall, you grew up in Mississippi, correct? Yes. Now, what is it that drives a, a girl from Mississippi to dream of the big city and a career in comedy? <laughs> what, what is your particular brand of crazy that made you feel like that was something that you wanted to go out and pursue? <laughs> well, for, for starters, there's a little bit of joke in this and there's a little bit of truth in this. And this <laughs> that I just wasn't good at anything else. So okay. that's how that got started. And then, you know, when you and I always did theater growing up and stuff. And when you make someone laugh, that is a different kind of drug. I've never really been into extracurricular things of that nature, but not judging anybody's lifestyle, but that's just not my, my speed. But mm -hmm. if, if you, when you make someone laugh, like really, really laugh, no matter right. what's going on in their life, it's a very strong pull that will pull you pretty much always, or I guess pull a certain type of person yeah. to sort of, it sort of will cancel out all the crazy insecurities that you may have and the whole, oh, you're never going to make any money. This is a, this <laughs> is just a bad idea in general. You know, that one little thing, just making someone laugh can completely overpower everything else. And then, of course, honestly, growing up watching SNL every week, it's like, I've, I got to have that. I, I need that. I, I had to need that to survive. Sure. Was there a particular moment growing up kind of like when it all clicked and it kind of crystallized that this feeling that you had when you were able to get a laugh from someone that this is something that you need to like latch on to and pursue? Yeah. I mean, I was about 16. I was in like, you know, a high school play. Like it wasn't anything very serious. And I, you know, didn't do anything like professionally as a, as a kid or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But it was, there was, you know, there was a woman on the front row who I knew was having a hard time because I grew up in a small town and everybody knows everybody's business. And there was some silly line that I delivered and she just went into tears with laughter. And that's when it really switched. Mm -hmm. It kind of changed levels for me where it was like, 
I, I have to do this. I have to okay. keep doing this and I have to do this and seek this out for the rest of my life or until I completely lose my mind and <laughs> can't do it. But, you know, I mean, it's just like I said, it's just, it's completely addicting. It's a different kind of high that like you just will chase forever. And it even, it overcomes the awfulness that you feel when you bomb and you hear nothing but crickets in the audience. It just, it's just, it's an, it's something that you just can't function without. You can't imagine your life without it. So what was your first move? Like, when did you start trying to kind of get your ducks in a row? When did you get serious about it? Probably in college. I, I joined and all we had, you know, I, I went to Ole Miss in Mississippi and uh, pretty much I, I joined an improv group right away and just started to learn improv and started to, because I knew I, you know, I knew I, it was always going to be New York from the time I was 15 or 16. It was always, I was always moving here. My parents had an understanding of that. And that was just, they were on board. I mean, I think they saw it as well. They saw how much I needed it and loved it. And so, you know, so it was just one of those things where I just started to learn and try to absorb as much of it in whether it be sketch, improv, stand up, whatever I could get my hands on just to learn to try to get myself ready mm -hmm. to be in a place where I could work in New York and possibly be considered one day, God willing, for SNL or, or something similar or a sitcom or anything that would just allow me to do this and actually just pay, pay the bills. Were you seriously targeting SNL? Like you mentioned that a couple of times, was that kind of something that you were consciously trying to shoot for, or was it just kind of in general that you were just hoping for an opportunity to present itself? Um, you know, I think every comedian, especially comedians who do stand up and sketch and improv and just kind of dabble in all of it. I think everybody, you know, everybody's really kind of striving for SNL. I mean, right. That's, Sure. You know, it's hard not to. It's, it's, and especially, you know, knowing that I wanted to live in New York and being based here, you know, it's really hard to, to say, oh no, yeah. And just, I'm just casual about it. If SNL called it, yeah, I guess I'd go. <laughs> like, no, I would freak out. Like, that would be, you know, like, yes, of course, sure. that's what we all, or at least that's what I want. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It is the big leagues, right? Like there's, there's kids that spend their childhood trying to learn how to dunk a basket because they aspire to the NBA. Uh, there, there's a, there's gotta be a similar drive present in, in a lot of comedians. You know, they see that, that showcase, that perfect launch pad, that kind of nexus point of comedy. I can see why that becomes a draw for so many, even if they're too cool to admit it. There's, <laughs> I'm sure that, like you said, most people do kind of secretly <laughs> aspire to it and certainly wouldn't turn it down if it ever became an option. So you get to New York. Um, how do you make your bones? Kind of what, what was your experience of trying to break through? Well, um, first, first thing was first. And I immediately went up and did a couple of shows like open mics and new talent shows in the West village mm -hmm. down on McDougal street, right down the street from the comedy cellar Yeah, and bombed. It was awful. Like did terrible, like, just, <laughs> just terrible, bad comedy, bad shows, just hacky, like it was just bad. So I was like, okay, I need to go back to, and maybe I need to revisit the improv thing. And so I started taking classes at Upright Citizens Brigade and went through that whole process mm -hmm. and did that and then joined another uh, improv group here in New York. And, um, you know, a guy that was in the group with me, uh, it's, it's, it's a group that's still going called Say What Improv. And a guy that was in that group with me, he gave my name to Gotham Comedy Club and it didn't tell me that he had done that. And so I got a call from Gotham, kind of confused. And, but of course said yes. And was like, you say, <laughs> when Gotham calls, you say yes and you figure it out later. Sure. And so, course. uh, <laughs> so I did that and it was, it was one of those crazy nights where it was like a sold out show. And, 
it it just took off. I mean, it just grabbed me back again, and I just I haven't let go of it since. And it just and from there, from Gotham came Caroline's, and so on and so forth. And Caroline's is where I met Daryl Hammond. Okay. So what what was that meeting like? Like, how did you end up kind of getting on board with with this tour? And actually, you know, how long have you known him? Well, I've actually I've only been working with him since last April. So since April of 2016. Okay. I was in the green room at Caroline's just working on new material about to go do a set. And he just dropped in to do a set and he walks in the green room. And for whatever reason, I was in there by myself Mm -hmm. and he walks in and he's like, hi, I'm Daryl. And I just kind (laughs) of giggled and was like, I know. (laughs) Of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) And so he was like, you know, I can see that you're, you're looking at your material. I'm not going to bother you. And I was like, no, 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 it's, it, please, you know, like, and he's like, let's, you know, let's talk. And so we ended up just talking about random stuff. You know, there, we were, got to talking about delis and random stuff in New York. We just chatted casually. And then, you know, we ended up watching the show together before each of us went up. And um, he went on and I watched the set. It was great. And then I went on right after him. And when I went up on stage at Caroline's, he was there. He was sitting in a seat. But then when I came off stage, he was gone. So I thought, uh-oh, he either, you know, didn't like what he saw or he just <laughs> missed it altogether. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, it was, it was a really cool thing to meet him, you know, once in a lifetime, whatever. And then about a week later, I got a, he had gotten my phone number from the people at Caroline's and said, you know, I really, really enjoyed meeting you. I liked your stuff. You know, do you want to open for me at a couple of shows here in New York? Just as like a test drive, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, I did and it went well. And so here we are. And then one, you know, show led to another show and another show and then, the road show started. And next thing I know, here we are, we're basically on a, on a tour. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So do you actually see much of them when you guys are touring or is it just pretty much you both show up at the club like an hour before and that's that kind of a thing? Oh, no, no, no. We're, we're friends. We, um, we, you know, he's, he's really good at, he helps me and I, you know, run ideas by him and things like that. I mean, I deign to use the word mentor. I, I'm afraid to use that word. Um, I don't know if he would be listening. He'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of where I was going with it. Cause that's kind of what it sounds like it was shaping up to be. You, you have access to a master, someone, you know, who's been in the trenches, who, who just knows the game and probably has years of wisdom that they can extol on you. So why wouldn't you want to capitalize on that as much as you can? I think he'd probably be flattered to be called your mentor. (laughs) He's so kind. I mean, he's so kind and wonderful. And just, you know, in addition to being a genius, which everybody knows he's just, he's a genius. I mean, it's, and it's not just his impressions. I mean, his, if if you guys know his standup, his standup is just insane. It's crazy good. It's, it's just, you know, I wish I had seen more of that on his, during his SNL days, but, um, but he's just such a nice guy and was so kind and generous to offer that advice to me. And when I do ask him a question, he gives it to me straight, you know, he's oh, that's awesome. very, you know, no frills. Like this is it. This is, this is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do you got cooking now? You got any dates coming up that you want to let our audience know about? Yeah. Yeah. So I will be doing, um, two shows at the QED, uh, here in New York in Queens. Um, mm-hmm. it is the name of the show is called go Ricky. <laughs> uh, one is on June 8th. The next one is on July 18th. And I will also be hosting a show on Thursday, June 29th at stand up New York. So come check it out. Very cool. Okay. Well, we ready to talk some SNL. Let's do it. We start with our cold open. The Trump administration performs Leonard Cohen's hallelujah. What'd you think, Kendall? Um, What was the show trying to say with this? What what was the point of it? I thought it was genius. I thought they're basically spoofing themselves from the earlier, 
from the earlier episode where Kate McKinnon right. went on as Hillary and sang Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah in the post-election thing. I thought it, when I the first two seconds of it, when I realized that it was Trump at the piano and I knew I knew immediately where they were going with it. And I just I loved it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fantastic. I do want to know if Baldwin was playing the piano. <laughs> oh, he wasn't. He wasn't because there's a part in the middle of the song where there's a lyric that says something about, you know, I don't know, something about an illusion or something. And he raises his hands from the piano just kind of as a goof to let people know that he wasn't actually playing. So, yeah. And they, they framed it very carefully where the camera's behind him showing his hands or showing some pianist's hands, but definitely not his. So, yeah. Steve, what are your thoughts? For this cold open, I don't know if it was the best thing to do for a finale. It did have that finale feel. Obviously, it was lampooning the uh, previous rendition of this that they did on the show. Right. I think it was meant to serve as kind of a send-off of this interwoven narrative that the Trump administration was the inspiration for. Uh, We had a lot of motifs throughout the season, like the Grim Reaper Bannon, the caricatures of Eric and Donald Jr., and of course, you know, we had the celebrities playing Spicer and, uh, and Trump himself. It had a couple more jokes than the last time they did this. It was pretty much void of them yeah. uh, in the Hillary version, but there was a couple of funny moments. Yeah, like I wasn't too hot on it, but it didn't offend me or anything <laughs> like that. It was I was more indifferent sure. to the thing. Uh, I think I'm going to split the difference between the two of you guys, because when I first watched it, I, w- I just didn't have a good beat on it. I wasn't sure what they were trying to say with it, but I've rewatched it since then, and I get the sense that they weren't shooting to say anything too heavy. I originally thought maybe what they were trying to do was kind of like mock lament Trump's administration imploding since that's kind of what's been in the news the last couple of weeks. So I thought maybe it was kind of like a kick the Trump administration when they're down kind of a thing, which wasn't really exciting me, but after rewatching it, I think it's kind of more in line with what Kendall was saying. And it, it is more of, it's more of just a, like, look, here's kind of season 42 in a nutshell. Here's what we brought to the table. Here's all these fantastic impressions and just a really sharp take on Trump. And here it is just kind of laid out in front of you. And we're going to get a little meta on it and just have some fun with uh, one of the seminal moments from earlier in the season, despite how polarizing the the Hillary version of it was. So I kind of felt like I had a better read on their intention the second time watching it. And even though it, it didn't really like get me super jazzed and excited about the finale, it feels more fitting on second watch. So I'm going to call it a marginal win. It was certainly unique and it was certainly, I I think it was certainly intended to be in good fun. And uh, yeah, so I'm, (laughs) I guess maybe a little indifferent, same as you, Steve, but uh, certainly not cold to it. I I think they were trying to do something nice and, and it, it is what it is. Not cold to the cold open. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Let's jump into the monologue. We get, Johnson and Hanks in 2020. That's kind of the underlying message. Uh, the rock apparently is polling better than Trump these days. And so they're goofing on the idea that, uh, if he ran for office, him and Hanks would pretty much be unstoppable. And there's probably a little bit of truth to that. Of course, they also do the five timer bit and, uh, yeah, have a little bit of just kind of, kind of goofy fun. It's a bit of a grab bag of, of different bits for the monologue this week. What'd you think, Kendall? Did this get you excited for the show? You know, I I did yes and no. So the Rock is Dwayne Johnson is just so he's such a strong performer. I mean, he mm-hmm. just takes over when he's on stage. And it was interesting to me to see. You know, you think a, a guy who's just that physically imposing couldn't be upstage by like Tom Hanks, who's 
smaller <laughs> and is a little more is a lot more subtle in his performances and mm-hmm. his the way you know in his comedy and things like that. But he did he got a little upstaged by Hanks. He, <laughs> you know, there was when they were even before they got to the political part of it. Tom Hanks was doing this little like point into the audience like like he's recognizing someone and wave like politicians do and i was like what's he doing it immediately pulled focus and i started wondering what tom hanks was doing mm-hmm. and it was like okay well he kind of he kind of stole the monologue a little bit <laughs> and i love the rock i feel like he can do no wrong especially comedically so yeah he kind of i don't know he kind of got a little upstage by by forrest forrest gump <laughs> fair enough <laughs> yeah you might be onto something tom hanks is very at ease when he comes on the stage so yeah he he gives off a vibe that is a little charming. And and like you said, it pulls focus a bit. I wonder if maybe the editing between dress and live maybe hurt the rock a little bit on this because there was a, a whole bit in the middle of this during the dress rehearsal version where Beck Bennett as Putin comes out ah. to basically like get behind the rock and co-opt him so that like he's Russia's man in 2020. And because the rock is just, you know, more of a man than Donald Trump, he intimidates Putin and Putin kind of has to scurry off. So there, it was kind of like a thinly veiled, you know, here's what a real leader looks like kind of a thing in, in the light of all the, the Russia silliness. But for whatever reason, that didn't make it to the live show. So I, if they'd had some of those additional bits in the mix, maybe, maybe you'd feel different about how The Rock came off. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, you know, with Tom Hanks and it's funny, like I said, back to his, him being like subtle, an audience just wants to know there's somebody and this is not, this is just what we I always say in comedy, like, they just want to know there's a pilot to the airplane and right, right. you know, it just happens to apply here for Tom Hanks, but like <laughs> he, he just kind of subtly comes on stage and is like, no, no, I got it. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. I can see And that. he doesn't mean to, I don't think it's intentional. I think it's just, he just can't help it. He's just so charming. He yeah. can't help it. He's Tom Hanks. He's Tom Hanks. What's your hot take, Steve? It kind of seems like a, a bit of a rehashing of the Tom Hanks monologue. It's, you know, obviously it's a different approach to pretty much the same observation. You know, uh, Tom Hanks is very likable, right? He's America's dad. He's America's dad. <laughs> He's someone that you feel like, yeah, I'd have fun if I hung out with him. Right. <laughs> we, we enjoy watching the movies of most movie stars, but like people like Tom Cruise, you're like, yeah, let's just keep him on the silver screen and <laughs> maybe not have a beer with him because right. he'll probably, you know, try to hook me up to a machine and <laughs> bring me up to level nine. In whatever church he's part of. Yeah. The church of practicology. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Practicology. Yeah. I felt that was kind of a harping on that same observation. The rock, he said to be a very nice outgoing guy. And, um, you know, you get that vibe from him. Yeah. Plus he can also, you know, throw down in action movies. So that's, that's what makes him a, a, a well-rounded leader. So the, the concept makes sense. Mm -hmm. Plus, uh, you know, I think the, the writing was pretty solid with this. So I would say that this is more or less a win, you know, if not the most original thing. Yeah, fair enough. I felt similar. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a win. I would have really liked to see the the Putin thing make it to air because I think that could have been a good bit. But overall, at this point in the show, more so than when the cold open ended, I'm now jazzed, right? The the rock, he smiled at me. He told me, like Kendall said, you're in good hands. We're going to have a fun show. And I believed him. So at this point, I'm, I'm good to go. So let's take a look at our first pre-tape. We get Cartier's diamond encrusted fidget spinner. It's the perfect gift for your high maintenance girlfriend. Yeah. I love it so much. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin. 
<laughs> I mean, I think I love it so much is because, you know, it's making fun of the fidget spinner and it's making fun of grown people being obsessed <laughs> with the fidget spinner. In addition to, they highlight that type of girl. And mm-hmm. I know that girl. I ha- I'm friends <laughs> with that girl. I'm friends with multiple versions of that girl. And it, it just to me was, I thought it was really good. It was shot really well. It was, it was great writing. You know, Beck Bennett did excellent. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. just did. You know, I thought the writing was really, really strong on that. Just for to the two points of, you know, it it poked fun of the fidget spinner and the character. Yeah. So it was. I just thought that was strong writing on that on that front. Yeah, I agree. I thought it had a lot of really strong moments. Just the subtle glances of of Beck getting annoyed, but kind of having to swallow it. There's there was there was <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun there. Uh, Steve, what did you think? Did this work for you? Yeah, a little too well. Kind of uh, <laughs> brings me back. <laughs> To my entire dating history. <laughs> yeah, this this hits home. All right. It it really does capture that essence of this type of girl. Okay. And of course the fidget spinner is such a huge uh sensation right now. I don't really get it. I mean, just go stare at a ceiling fan if that's all it takes for you. <laughs> yeah, put some diamonds on that. Yeah. Fair enough. There you go. <laughs> you know, the sex is good, so that's what keeps people around, I guess. Yeah, it it had a very smart <laughs> message there at the end because that kind of is what it boils down to. If if you are attached to someone that maybe grates on you a little bit, there has to be something keeping you invested. So it was very astute that they pulled that all together at the end. I thought that was yeah. kind of satisfying. <laughs> and that gave me a big belly laugh in reaction. Yeah. Uh, for me, I thought it was really, really good. I enjoyed it end to end. A lot of good laughs. It didn't really have to be a good sketch because it featured Vanessa Bayer and I'm all worked up into a tizzy over her leaving. All I needed was something to get her up on screen and this accomplished that. So it was a win right out of the gate, but I thought it was really smart. This, this really worked in a lot of ways for me. So I I thought it was great. Moving on. We get a live sketch WWE promo shoot. Number two, Coco watch out is back and he is smack talking Bobby Moynihan's trash yard mutt. And his smack talk just hits a little too close to home. This is a a perfect storm going on here. You know, not only do we have the rock hosting, you know, originally a famous wrestler. So the wrestling subject matter is appropriate. Right. Also it's Bobby's last episode. So something featuring Bobby heavily is more than welcome. Mm -hmm. So I was very happy to be watching this. Okay. And part of the reason I love it so much is because Bobby does upset really well he mm-hmm. he can comedically be disturbed and and made to be upset in such in the funniest ways you know we see it when he does drunk uncle or that cat loving astronaut <laughs> that he used to do where he missed his little kitty <laughs> he, he does a good job of of just kind of what's the word losing his cool sure and yeah uh, it's always fun to watch kendall what do you think I, I thought the exact same thing. I, I love that the rock is so willing to basically go back and, and do, you know, you, you know, you smell what the cocoa is cooking, that kind of thing. I, I, I love that about him. I think that's awesome. I thought the writing on this sketch was really strong. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, that was Steve. That was literally my exact same note <laughs> about Bobby doing upset really well. He has this like sincere, like look of like, you've hurt my feelings and it's, and it's just <laughs> priceless. I mean, it's just, it's just, it gets you no matter what, what the situation is. So yeah, I, I, I liked it too. I, I, I was a fan of this one. Yep. It was fun. Even though this is a retread of a, a previous outing, it's been long enough that it felt fresh. I could barely remember the first version of this. So to me, this was a whole new sketch and I think it holds up. The premise is fun. You know, these 
wrestlers are supposed to be hard as nails. And we all know that the WWE is all about kind of showmanship and over the top rivalries and all this kind of stuff. So you would never think that they could say anything that would legitimately cut too deep, but yeah, what happens when, <laughs> when someone goes off script and maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a little too close to home. <laughs> that to me is a funny concept and you put the rock and Bobby together. It's, it's going to be gold. So yeah, this was good. I liked it. I broke when they, you know, they flashed to Bobby with the Katy Perry obsession in, in like this small bedroom and him dancing. I mean, that right. was, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just like icing on the cake. Exactly. Yeah. That was fun too. Um, and a little fearless of Bobby, right? Like as a performer, he, he doesn't really ever limit himself. He's willing to just do whatever's called for. And it's just one of many things that I respect about what he brought to the show. Uh, yeah, really, really good. Moving on. We got another pre-tape rap song. Big Chris's latest hip hop collaboration is getting a little crowded <laughs> with a surprise appearance from David S. Pimpkins, no less. Oh my God. This was my favorite sketch of the night. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What in particular won you over? The names. I okay. mean, like they had a little nitwit and then like hot <laughs> clown and then Cecily Strong did that ridiculous clown makeup just like gets right in the camera and is like, what it is. I mean, that's hysterical. <laughs> like, I mean, just little stuff like that. And then they had like Kathleen Bell and then, and then they threw in David S. Pumpkins. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like, what, what else do you need in a sketch? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Steve, what, what moment in it was kind of the biggest surprise? Like of all the character reveals, which one really took it for you? <laughs> which one? Yeah. I'd say the, uh, the multiracial rap duo known as two black guys. <laughs> yes. Colin and Shay. <laughs> that I, I cannot figure out for the life of me, but I think that's the point. Yep. But the whole thing was great. There wasn't one person that showed up that I didn't think was able to land something that made me giggle. And yeah, that, that really worked for me. I just loved it. <laughs> just loved it. I like how Melissa Villasenor's character kind of snuck herself in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Keaton like called her out. I was like, yeah, I saw you. <laughs> I saw you throw yourself in there. She was like peeking around the side of that <laughs> yep. window frame. Like, like, and she was like, oh, me? Like it was. <laughs> yeah. So pleased with herself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was good. It was good. And I got to say, this is one that's worth rewatching because it goes by so quick that you miss all those little moments on the first, the first time through, you're just kind of trying to keep up and trying to figure out what the goof is. But the second time through all the little characterizations and all those little side moments, kind of like Melissa's moment, they get funnier. So this, this is good. And this one probably has legs. I have a feeling that this will be making the rounds on the internet. Let's keep moving here. We get another live sketch, Scorpio. Steve's impressive superhero armor is exceptionally well-crafted. At, at first glance in the sketch, you thought that he he was he was going to be a superhero, right? There was someone attacking the town, and he was going to come in and be the superhero. Mm-hmm. And he comes around behind the desk, and they're like Steve, and he's ends up in this like elaborate costume, and it turns into more of like you know a, a love fest for his sewing skills, <laughs> which is a nice twist. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a really nice twist, especially when you have a guy as big as the Rock physically, and he's you know, getting all gooey about, about sewing and all yeah. that. That's a nice twist. I liked it a lot. Um, I thought they revealed the punch a little too quick. I, mm. I thought, okay, well that's that. And well, we know what the rest of the other two minutes is like, but, um, but I mean, it's still great. He, sure. I, I thought it was good. And I, I think he introduced us to the word capelet at one point <laughs> when he referred yes. to a, a small cape that one would wear. Yeah. Oh, right. So yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. I liked it. But uh, yeah, if anything, if I don't even have anything negative to say about it, but if anything, I would say, you know, I was surprised that they revealed that punchline as quickly as they did. Sure. It's one of those sketches where maybe they could have unfolded it a little neater so that, right. yeah, you don't, you don't give it all away so quick, but it didn't feel 
needlessly drawn out to me. I didn't feel like this was one where halfway through I'm thinking, okay, there's nothing else that you're going to be able to bring to the sketch. Let's, let's exit. I didn't get that. I was still charmed all the way through, but I think you're right, Kendall. I think if SNL had unlimited time and resources and the writers could just rewrite these things till their heart's content, maybe they would have been able to find a better flow or balance. But for what we got, I still thought it was pretty charming. what do you think, Steve? Was this a win for you? Yeah, totally. And it's actually something that has crossed my mind before watching superhero movies. <laughs> like you watch Spider-Man or Superman or any of these films with like $15 million wardrobe budgets. Right. So like they show up with these costumes that are just cinematically perfect. Yeah. The light glistening bounces yeah. off them perfectly. Yeah. And they're just like symmetrical and flawless, <laughs> like through all the training and, and all the stuff they've done to like get to the point where they're an effective superhero. They've somehow become world-class tailors along the way as well. Right. They uh, touched on that trope and, and made something really funny out of it. Mm-hmm. So it's a win for me. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I always like sketches where they let the rock be very like genteel and very kind of like sensitive and in, sort of like in tune with his, his feminine side almost, you know, like at one point he's going on about, he was trying to establish a very earthy color story with it. Like they're, they're talking in very like professional tailor terms about people that are very, very passionate <laughs> about the craftsmanship of, of their clothes. And so that's a really nice contrast to like the big hulking brute of a wrestler that you might assume that the rock actually would be. So putting him in those roles where he's out of his regular persona, I find very charming. So this was a lot of fun. Why don't we check in on Gemma and her boyfriend? They are touring around universal studios and they run into Gene and his wife. Gemma's one of my favorite characters. I, I think it's hysterical. Again, I think I know somebody like that. And I think that's <laughs> why, why it resonates with me. I'm like, Oh my God. But the thing with that is that when you've got Gemma in the sketch, she upstages everybody in it. And I really wanted more Vanessa Bayer, mm. given that she is leaving. So, it, you know, she, which was, it was funny when they kept throwing the water on her. But, you know, and then she has this baby pig that was real live pig <laughs> that is named Pipsqueak, which is dressed like her. I mean, it's just it's it's insanely funny to me. I just love it. And her act, the, you know, the, the the dialect she uses is really spot on and hysterical and exaggerated and. I, I, I love Gemma. I want to go have drinks with Gemma. <laughs> yeah. Steve, you tend to appreciate when sketches shoot high and try to weave in some, some high production values. What did you think of the elaborate setup here with the LCD screen and the dinosaur head and the, you know, the moving dock and all that? Did that help the sketch? I appreciated the extra mile they went with that, adding a dock that kind of uh, I guess it was on wheels and they rolled it out of frame when right. needed. Yep. So it did help create illusion that they were moving around and not just staying still on a, on a studio set. Right. Obviously it was still pretty clear that that's what they were doing, but I, I appreciated the effort. Yeah. I feel like maybe they should have done something a little more low rent just because trying to perform that live, I could see, I could see the seams they zoomed out too far and you could kind of see the stick that was holding up the dinosaur water gun. And you could see kind of like the wheels on the, the dock as it's being pulled out of frame. So because they didn't really have the timing down and it's live and you don't really get a do over with that, that pulled me out of it a little bit, but that's a small quibble. I, I respect that they tried it and, and it really is great that they have these tools at their disposal where they can try and craft a sketch that's more immersive because they have the big LCD now and all that stuff. So uh, I respect the try, but I didn't feel like it helped just because the execution was a little fumbly. But the characters themselves and the fun that they had winning over Keenan's character, 
to the chagrin of <laughs> of Vanessa, that always works. And uh, then, yeah, beating up on Vanessa a little bit more, that, that's all fun. So there was a lot to like in this sketch. It just wasn't a total win just because of those technical flubs. No, I'd agree with that. Okay. Zentrex. It is the most effective drug for extreme erectile dysfunction. Now, Steve, I know that this is an issue that's near and dear to your heart for reasons <laughs> that I'm not going to go into because, you know, you related them to me in confidence off air. But I, I just feel like you're probably the right person to comment on on this type of subject matter. So what did you think of the Zentrex sketch? Yeah, we'll uh, not <laughs> specifically say why I relate so well to this sketch. Very good. Let's just say I do. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was a perfect capturing of the feel that you get from these pharmaceutical commercials. Right. But it's juxtaposed with, uh, you know, the intensity of this basically legal meth that they're they're pushing. <laughs> like the whole thing just goes off the rails. Yeah. But it maintains that tone the entire time. Exactly. Which is brilliant. What did you think, Kendall? Did you like it? Uh, yeah, I thought, I, I kind of thought that that theme is a little bit overused sometimes. But mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was great. And I was, you know, kind of waiting the whole episode on them to let The Rock beat somebody up. So it was great <laughs> when he was just sort of bashing Kyle Mooney around the doctor's <laughs> office. Um, while they were rolling all like the side effects across the the, the screen. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Kyle Mooney and, and he did a great job in this as well. And the rock did, did great as usual, but yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of medium on it. Okay. No, that's fair. Cause we do see a lot of this. They SNL is famous for their commercial parodies, but something that they do lean heavily on is the pharmaceutical ad. When I was watching it, I was thinking there were some shades of annual. If anyone remembers that commercial parody from uh, a Tina Fey hosted episode, it, basically the same premise where in this case, it's a, um, it's like a birth control. Oh no. It, yeah. It's a drug where you don't get your period for a year, but then when your period hits, you become like a, a raving lunatic. Oh yeah. And at the end yeah, of it, she's, yeah, you know, she's wielding that. an ax and accosting her coworkers and all that. So this very much. <laughs> It, it yeah it is well well trod territory for the show but because they're so fantastic at producing these so that it captures that look and feel it's almost always a win regardless even though i i was feeling like yeah i've seen this before this isn't breaking new ground just the the caliber of production uh, that they achieve always wins me over i thought it was a, a lot of fun so it was a win for me if not terribly original Now, speaking of terribly original, let's talk a little bit about both of Katy Perry's performances. She opens with Swish Swish and closes with Bon Appetit, featuring Migos, who I'm assuming is one of the rejects from the rap song sketch. (laughs) Kendall, what's your hot take? Are are you a Katy Perry fan? I I do like Katy Perry. Um, You know, the scene stealer was the kid with the backpack and the crazy dancing, the, the, you know, the Twitter sensation. Oh, is that who he was? There's a story behind that? Yeah, he's a viral video. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's from like the South. He's from Georgia and he does this dance. And I mean, when he came out at first, I was like, oh, this is a sketch. (laughs) This is, they're going to turn this into a sketch. And then he kept going and then he cranked it up and his little dance and got faster. And I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) this is real. This is legit. Okay, got it. (laughs) I think his name is Russell, which is hysterical to me. All right. Shout out to Russell. Everybody look him up on YouTube. Shout out to Russell. Yeah. Look him up on uh, YouTube and Twitter. I don't know. He seems to be doing very well for himself, that Russell. So you know what? Joke's on me. Okay. Fair enough. Steve, what what do you think of Katy Perry's latest offering? Oh boy. Hmm. <laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> I feel like Katy is grabbing me by the face and saying, you know, accept me as a gay icon or I will kill you. <laughs> okay. She's asking to be part of this movement 
you know, just like Madonna or Lady Gaga has been, mm-hmm. I think she's trying to be derivative of, of those artists and it doesn't feel genuine or organic coming from Katy Perry. Okay. I just don't feel like this is really the direction she should be going in. And if so, maybe just do a better job of it. No, that's, that's fair. And I think I have very similar feelings. It occurred to me as I'm watching these, that this probably is the result of a bunch of producers and tastemakers sort of sitting around prognosticating about what the newest trends and fads and uh, sort of like fashion direction that the world's going in and trying to figure out how they can reinvent Katy Perry to tap into, you know, whatever way the wind's blowing. And it just felt very heavy handed. It just didn't come off authentic. There are some performers where you know that as, as a personality, they are very much into their performance and they want to make things very high concept and, and like Lady Gaga, whether you like her stuff or not, you have to respect that she's very passionate about what she's trying to create. And Sia comes to mind as someone else that does something that a lot of people would look at and say, well, that's kind of bizarre, but I don't doubt for a second that this is an extension of kind of who she is. I don't get that with Katy Perry. I think that she's just very much kind of taken her cues from the people who are trying to uh, reinvent her and, and craft her into something that's going to sell some more records. And it just really wasn't grabbing me. In fact, it actually kind of put me off a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. Katy Perry was not doing it for me. Weekend update. Our opening salvo this week is Jostin Che pointing out that president for now, Trump has had another exceptionally crazy week. Oh gosh. You know, I, it was just blanket Trump, right? It's just like, and I get it. They have to report on it because right. that's what's happening. I mean, you can't yeah. just not because, because you do it every week when this is what's mm-hmm. happening every week. Yeah, it was certainly Trump heavy. And if you're burnt out on Trump, then there's probably not a whole lot to, to really take away from it. I noticed that uh, a lot of jokes at Trump's expense seem to be specifically tailored to get under his skin. Mm-hmm. When they make jokes like, if you want uh, somebody to disappear, like Comey, you know, just marry him. <laughs> no. It leads me to believe that they're actually trying to troll Trump directly. Mm-hmm. and kind of get a reaction out of him at this point. Yeah, it did feel a little trolly. And uh, I don't think that that's unintentional. They've been leaning into their Trump bashing because it's, uh, it's working. You know, the ratings are up. Uh, there's a lot of anti-Trump sentiment. So of course they're going to, they're going to go with what works, what gets the laugh. Um, the only thing that I thought was really exceptional was the, the train had a bad day montage that they threw in the middle there for all the people in the Trump administration that have gotten the ax. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a fun little bit. But we quickly move into a couple features, which I think appropriately feature our two senior players that are exiting the show. First, we get Dawn Lazarus back. It's one of those things where she she has such an earnest smile on her face <laughs> while it's happening that it's hard not to love it. Right. I thought it was great. I mean, is it would would I compare it to like Drunk Uncle in terms of strength? No, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I like it. What I find genius about it is that it just accurately depicts what happens when you're brain is going faster or your mouth is going faster than your brain. I should say. Sure. (laughs) Like you can see what she's trying to say. Like you can hear what's supposed to be coming out. Right. This is one of Vanessa's strong points is characters like this. So really great to see her uh, shine in, in her last episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's pretty 
telling that she decided to break out a brand new character two episodes before she leaves the show. If nothing else, it says that she wasn't content to just phone it in just because we're sentimental about her leaving. It didn't matter what she did. It would have been a win, but it's just very cool that she just decided, Hey, I've got this cool new goof. Let's, let's flesh this out and, and see if we can get it on air before I leave the show. And she scored another win. So good for Vanessa just underscores how strong a performer she was with the show. And then Bobby Moynihan drunk uncle. He was on fire. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Drunk Uncle is one of my all-time favorite characters just in the show as a whole, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, that's a pretty strong statement, I feel like, given how long it's been on the air. Sure. It's funny. Like, he brought in the Arby's We Have the Meats commercial. And it's funny. (laughs) When I watch that on TV, I think to myself, this commercial is only appealing to, like, a drunk uncle. And so when he said it, I was like, yes! Yeah, I mean, it was just, and then the blank stares that that he gives, I mean, it's just so spot on. Again, I feel like I know him. It's just, I mean, I think it was just off the charts for his final appearance. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, Yeah. I mean, his racism was just out of control and, you know, which shouldn't technically be funny, but it is. And and then he spin around as a fidget and was like, fidget, fidget. I mean, he's he's just great. He's lovely. I just love him. I love how every time we see Drunk Uncle, he seems to be a little bit more drunk. (laughs) It seems to be a running gag with that character, that he's just getting more and more out of control and a little bit more racist and outrageous. Yeah. It's nice to see him come back to kind of put the character to bed and give some closure to the the bromance that Colin and Drunk Uncle have. Okay. (laughs) I think people would have rioted if drunk uncle hadn't shown up. So uh, this was definitely necessary. It's really nice that they gave us one for the road. So uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot for that. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out that at one point drunk uncle uh, actually used a joke, a running joke that we've been goofing on in the podcast. And I don't know, (laughs) there's a part of me that wants to believe that, you know, there's a writer over at the show that maybe tuned in and just subconsciously that dripped its way into this performance. If that was the case, well, that would just make my day. But one way or another, drunk uncle says at one point in his rant, so I'm not eight fast, eight furious. Okay. <laughs> that is, you know, if, if there's any regular listeners to our podcast, they know that that's, that's a running goof that, that you and I do. It's a joke that I've been trying to get a laugh from for over a decade and I've never been able to get one. So the fact that it got a laugh on national television, just, just was a real moment for me. So intentional or not intentional that made the show for me. So I'm very happy to see my lame little joke that never quite got off the ground, get off the ground for Bobby's final outing at the desk. So big moment for John, big moment for Bobby. I think it was just a win all around (laughs) (laughs) back half of the show. We get another live sketch RKO film set actress, Janet Champagne makes several gaseous mistakes. Kendall, we get a fart sketch for the finale. Is this what you want to see? (sighs) No. Okay. Oh gosh. I hate to say something negative at all because I cannot fathom having to trying to write for the show. But I mean, as a comedian in general, like you just stay away from fart jokes like you just do. And so when we're watching, you know, the season finale of such an incredible season and, you know, you've got Vanessa Bayer and then I was like, wait, this is a 100% a giant fart joke. And there were parts that I got a little tickled. I'll, I'll, I'm ashamed to admit, mm-hmm. but you know, overall, I'm like, no, come on, guys, fart jokes, no. <laughs> okay, so you thought they should have been shooting a little higher for the finale than the the most basic uh, gross-out humor. 
Yes, but did they get me a couple of times? Yeah. Sure, sure. So I don't know what it says about me. <laughs> well, sometimes it's okay to indulge a obviously juvenile sketch just because, you know, there's certain classic things that it's always fun to just give into, even if they're not smart. And even if the intellectual part of your brain knows that this is cheap comedy, if, if it's making you giggle, then it, it's working. So, uh, I can appreciate how conflicted you may be like, especially as a comedian, you know, when you see like quality writing and when you see a really smart, well-crafted joke, and then you also know when people are kind of playing to the lowest common denominator. So I can understand the the conflict, but as far as fart sketches go, do you feel like this was a quality fart sketch? Like if we're only looking at it for what it is, which is the most juvenile of humor, was this a good fart sketch? Yes. Okay. Unfortunately, yes. It was, <laughs> you know, I mean, the whole the whole 1940s film set and the whole thing. I mean, his reaction, her reaction, the whole thing. Bobby Moynihan <laughs> as the sound guy. Uh, you know, it was just like, did you get that? Yep, we got it. You know, like it's, it, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was it was funny. Okay. Uh, Steve, we're digging deep on this fart sketch. Do you want to go deeper? Is there anything here worth, you know, worth dissecting? Well, if you want to dissect it even further, you can look back to the, uh, (laughs) look back to the era that this sketch is taking place in. You know, this is probably the fifties and it wasn't until the late sixties where you even heard a toilet flush in a, in a movie or on television. So Anything that was like even remotely taboo was just kind of glossed over and everyone pretended it didn't exist. <laughs> right. That's why they're referred to as mistakes, right? Yes. She can't even utter the word. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the more that she has to cover up this obvious thing that's going on <laughs> and she has to keep referring to it as a mistake, like it just gets more and more absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was a little bit smarter than your average fart sketch for that reason. <laughs> okay. I heard somewhere that the fart noises are done by Higgins off stage. I don't know if he did that for this outing, but those were some immaculate, uh, intensely juicy fart noises that they were able to come up with, especially when the rock is embracing her and kind of like squeezing out yep. the, the crescendo farts at the end. Yeah. I got to give props to however they produce that. If that's actually Higgins in the moment doing those good on him, if those are pre-recorded, still very impressive. They definitely know how to do a good fart noise on that show. So I'll give them credit for that. Let's not dig any deeper on this sketch. Let's move on to International Mad Scientist Society. One mad scientist, played by The Rock, decides to go the extra mile to win a contest for the most evil invention. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, a child molesting robot. Let's see. <laughs> what, where, where do we begin on that? And I won't go very deep, except just to say, I think, I think in this one, I think they, they, you know, we always talk about it in comedy, coming as close to the line without yep. crossing it. Because if you cross it, it's going to fall flat and it's going to rub people the wrong way. I think they crossed the line on this one. Yeah. Okay. It didn't necessarily just completely upset me or anything like that because I, you know, it's, it's, it's a sketch on a comedy show, but I think they, I think they may have crossed the line and that's why it fell a little flat. Well, let's dig into that a little bit because I kind of want to know where maybe it lost you. Where do you think the line should be for a sketch like this? Like, what was it that uh, went too far? I don't know. And I don't know if it was, I really don't. I don't know if it was just the simple like subject. Like I said, it didn't necessarily upset me. I just felt like it fell flat. Okay. You know, it wasn't like that. I don't, I don't have like any strong feelings toward one way or another. And I think that's, that's just it, you know? And also they kept referring to White Castle and I, I tried <laughs> to look into this and I didn't, did White Castle serve someone at some point that was really bad? And that's why they kept talking about White Castle will serve anyone. So I don't know how White Castle got thrown in there, but it was, um, yeah, it, it, not my favorite. Okay. 
<laughs> there, there are some things where for whatever reason, we just can't get on board with the joke. So yeah, if this just pushed a little too far and you just weren't able to sign off on it, I, I can dig that. I don't know what the white castle angle was either. I'd, if there was something there, it went over my head, but for me, I wasn't taken out of it on a comedy show. My feeling is that, you know, it's, it's all meant in humor. So I'm going to take it that way as far as I possibly can. And, and this one didn't really offend me or put me off in any way. I personally thought it was pretty clever. Steve, what are your thoughts? I thought this was absolutely hilarious. Okay, good. We got Kendall on one end of the spectrum, you on the other, and I'm just riding right down the middle trying to keep everyone happy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. The brilliance of this is that, you know, the idea of evil, that whole concept, when it's pared down to be appropriate for children's cartoons, you end up with, you know, these ne'er-do-wells, these evil geniuses that want to invent freeze rays right. and <laughs> cartoon evil. Yeah. yeah. Cartoon evil. It's cartoon evil. And you know, to juxtapose that with actual terrible <laughs> evil realities of this terrible dark world that we live in, you really see, you know, the liberties they take on that whole idea of evil. Right. I think that's, that's just a brilliant comparison. And I'm a firm believer that there's nothing untouchable. I, I really do think that you can, get away with joking about off color stuff. Mm -hmm. It can be in poor taste at times and it, and it, and you really do have to choose those moments wisely, but I'm all for offensive humor when it's uh, when it's the right time and place. Okay. So if we're going to bottom line it, was this the right time and place? Like, did you walk away from this feeling awkward or did you walk away from this feeling really amused? No, I was really amused. Good. Okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about the wingman. Beck, as a bartender, completely fails to help The Rock pick up women at a bar. Beck really does the the innocent, well-meaning, but <laughs> more destructive in the end type of character. Sure. I think this played out well and escalated at a appropriate rate. Okay. And by the end of it, you know, it was a pretty good, well-rounded sketch for, for what it was. Okay. Kendall, what did you think? Was this a win for you? Yeah, I kind of agree with Steve. I, th I think it, yeah, I think it was a win. I think it was a solid sketch. Um, did it blow the roof off of it? No, but it was, it was a good, it was good. And I've, I've always kind of wondered about guys who, and, and other people who talk to other people for someone. I always wondered, like, how do you not like mess with this a little bit? Like, come on, like, this is, you know, so, you know, he <laughs> kind of, it tapped into something that I've always been a little curious about. So, okay. Yeah, I liked it. I did. I don't, I don't have any overwhelming thoughts about it, but yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Okay. I wasn't as warm on it. I thought it was pretty lackluster. Mm -hmm. uh, I get the goof. I get the, like Steve was expounding on the structure of the buffoon, right? You've got the straight man and you've got the guy who's so inept that no matter how clearly the straight man tries to indicate to him what he needs from him, the buffoon will never be able to deliver it in a satisfying way. I get it. And I appreciate that, you know, the writers are really great at knowing <laughs> all of the comedy structures that you can hang a sketch on. Uh, so I respect the try. I just, I didn't feel like there was anything exceptionally funny about it. I think that's what it just comes down to for me. Moving on. We are officially at our 10 to one sketch, our last sketch for season 42. The setup here is four seniors are performing a skit to bid farewell to high school. And there's an obvious overlap there because Bobby and Vanessa are two of the inept student performers. Kendall, as the final sketch of season 42, was this satisfying? Was this how you kind of wanted them to go out? All I could think about was Vanessa and, and Bobby leaving. So that, that was, you know, it was one of those things where that kind of 
took over versus like really looking at the sketch and saying, you know, is this how this whole season should end and this, that, and the other, you know, I don't know. I, I did. I thought it was appropriate. I mean, okay. you know, and then Leslie Jones hit some awesome beats as the lunch lady, you know, when yeah. they're like in her face and she's just as deadpanning basically. And, and, and it's just, it's great. And she hits all of her notes. Everybody hit their beats. It was, I thought it was good. Yeah. I thought it was appropriate. Cool. Steve thoughts. Yeah. I like this. It was kind of a multi-instrumental jam going on uh, within this sketch. We have a couple of elements working simultaneously. Uh, of course, we have, you know, the skits being performed by the students. We have Dwayne Johnson's teacher character saying some mildly inappropriate <laughs> things and alluding to uh, hanging out with them when, when they're of age. Yeah, he is laying the foundations for some very inappropriate behavior. Yeah, he's trying to feel out what he can get away with, it seems like. And the, the reaction of the kids, as well as the reaction of uh, Leslie's lunch lady. There's more going on than this, than a sketch like this had business mm-hmm. having going on, but I think it was a successful juggling act. The only thing is that it just seemed to end early. Like they ran out of time. So they pulled the plug on it or something. Mm-hmm. There was definitely more to that sketch originally. I'd say I can offer a little insight on that. They did cut about a minute and a half out of the middle of it. You get the spot where they do their first goof on some uh, what was it? Stranger things or something. And then they do another goof on La La Land or something. Yeah. There was another minute of that kind of performance, those really cheesy moments in the middle of it. So I have a feeling that there was some connective tissue that probably got sacrificed that maybe would have made the sketch more satisfying. You could really feel that there was something too abrupt about how this sketch unfolded there. It wasn't very organic at, at times. So yeah, it, it suffered from some heavy editing, probably just, you know, time reasons. They, they knew what they had to work with after seeing it in dress and it is what it is, but let's bottom line it here. Cause this is the final sketch. This is the one that is going to be kind of like hanging there uh, until we come back in season 43. Is this how we wanted season 42 to end? Is this satisfying? Satisfied is, is a good word. Okay. Not blown away, not completely disappointed. So, you know, I'm a happy camper. Fair enough. Kendall, um, if you were going to bottom line it, is this how you wanted season 42 to go out? Was it satisfying? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with him. I would say that, yeah, I'm just sort of satisfied. Okay. Not, not again, not blown away, not anything. They did, like I said, they didn't really blow the roof off of it, but no. I couldn't take the, you know, the whole emotional part of it out with Bobby Moynihan and Vanessa Bayer exiting. And, you know, you got, you know, yeah, it was fine. Okay. Just because I love Bobby and Vanessa so much. And now in hindsight, knowing that Sashir is leaving as well, um, I, I just would have liked to see something more. Or, or something that was more overtly sentimental and put them a little bit more in the spotlight and just, I don't know, had more of a voice of farewell to it. I just didn't, wasn't really getting that from this. So that's, that's really the only tragedy of the night was I, I was really hoping for a satisfying 10 to one. And I personally didn't, didn't feel like this one went where I wanted it to go, but you can't please everybody. <laughs> That is pretty much our run through. I think the only other thing worth mentioning is that during the good nights, uh, we talked a little bit about it at the top of the show. They did carry Bobby off and they carried Vanessa off and they carried Sashir off of home base. Um, just, you know, a little respectful nod of <laughs> you came, you saw, you conquered and and here's sort of your victory lap. So for the studio audience, at least there was a fun little moment after the show where they got to uh, send off Bobby and Vanessa and Sashir, right? And that's a classy move. It's always nice when these things happen before the end of the season, rather than midsummer where it gets kind of, <laughs> it feels a little personal when you're not invited back or when things change up and your, your favorite cast member just vanishes and you don't really know why it's a little nicer when they have an opportunity to, to send them off. Right. And so I'm really glad that they all got that moment. 
Yeah. Anytime you can see that it seems to be like a mutual decision, that's all like happy and leaves us with a rosy, warm feeling. I think that's always better than like, say, for example, what happened last season. Exactly. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah. (laughs) When, especially when you have players that have been on the show as long as maybe Taryn and Jay were Mm -hmm. to not give them a moment, you know, they, they deserve an attaboy. (laughs) You want to have that closure with them. And, and I know that even uh, at least Taryn, maybe not so much Jay, uh, Taryn, he took it classy, but you could tell that it, it wasn't how he wanted things to, to end. So this is nice. Uh, it, it certainly, <laughs> it, it certainly is a, a classier move on the show's part. So I can applaud him for that. Let's talk moment of the night. What took it for you, Kendall? Oh, cash stack records. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, Cecily Strong's <laughs> hot clown coming in and be like, what it is? And then, you know, the other one peeking around from the side of the frame. And also what we didn't really talk about is that Keenan is basically playing the straight guy in this, right? Yeah. He did an excellent job of just being hysterically funny, even as like the straight guy. Yep. So it, you know, that, that to me was just, I loved it. Yep. Absolutely. That sketch had a lot of fun moments in it. I can really respect that. Steve, what took it for you? My moment of the night has to be that last line of the Cartier's fidget spinner pre-tape okay just that uh that final reveal the the whole justification of putting up with a girl like this just really (laughs) really caught me off guard and i laughed quite heartily (laughs) but yeah i'm gonna go with the uh because the sex is so good (laughs) line at the end of the fidget spinner sketch yep that was the perfect little bow to put on it because it 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 just frames things so perfectly because the big question is if this guy is so put off by this girl and he's just doing anything he can to distract her and just keep her from creating more drama, why is he with her in the first place? Well, <laughs> there's, there's a very good answer to that question and it was very funny when they dropped it. So yeah, that I can respect that. I have a self-indulgent moment of the night and then a real moment of the night. The self-indulgent one, as I mentioned, is Bobby Moynihan doing eight fast, eight furious. Again, I want to believe <laughs> <laughs> that maybe just, just maybe somehow uh, our stupidity on the podcast was able to trickle down into the writing room. And if that actually was the case, then that's, that's ridiculously fun to think about. So for me personally, that was a moment where obviously I perked up, but I think a more reasonable moment of the night is back in the rap song sketch. Uh, the same one that Kendall's so fond of David S. Pimpkins shows up and when that sketch was unfolding, I wasn't expecting to see him. And I think that's why it was so much fun. You know, we knew that Tom Hanks was in the room, so there should have been a little part of me that was sitting there saying, okay, when are they going to bring back David S pumpkins? They can't not acknowledge it. But at this point in that sketch, I was just all in. And so when they throw him up on screen, somehow they still managed to surprise me with David S pumpkins, even though I was kind of expecting it anyways. And so that was fun. I think that was a really satisfying place to put him in now. Yeah. Best sketch. Kendall? Oh, see, I'm so predictable. Hashtag records. (laughs) (laughs) There's no right or wrong answers. If that's what grabbed you, that's what grabbed you. Yeah, it grabbed me. It grabbed me all right. I watched it, (laughs) I don't know, four four or five times, I think. I just kept rewinding it. I loved it. Because there was, like you said earlier, there were so many different ways to, so many little different things that you could pick up on. Every time you saw it, you caught something differently. Yeah. Good. Steve, what's yours? I'm going to go with the... Mad scientists convention, <laughs> the contest for most evil invention. Mm-hmm. I love it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> for what we've had to say in, in criticism of it, I, I personally thought this was the most brilliant sketch. 
And yeah, I just thought it was great across the board when it came to the costume design, set design, the beats they decided on, and just how they characterized everyone. Mm-hmm. I just had the most fun with this sketch sure. for what it was. Oh. So that's my pick. Fair enough. Kendall doesn't like me anymore. Yeah. I'm laughing hysterically because I was like, I wanted him. I, I was like, I want him to say it. I want him to say it just because I think it's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes me like you more, actually. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah, it was definitely the boldest sketch of the night, right? Like, it's the one where they're thinking, okay, this might rub people the wrong way. If we put this up, we may have to expect a little bit of backlash or whatever. So I certainly respect that they went for it. And it is. It is a good sketch. Again, at that observational level, the thing about sketches that really satisfies me is when they find something obvious that everyone can just immediately understand what the goof is. And then they, they just blow it out. They take it for all it's worth. And I think this is a good example of that. My sketch of the night is for very similar reasons, the Scorpio sketch Mm -hmm. as a piece, like it wasn't the absolute funniest or it didn't have like the loudest or craziest laugh of the night, but just as a really smart observation that I've never seen snl or any other outlet turn into a really smart little sketch uh this is it you know uh, what if we just focus in on the the costume and the characters are all really enamored with the craftsmanship of it and what if we just you know explore that the actual premise and then the way they unfolded it i thought was very smart and satisfying so i gotta just give them props for the kind of the writing and the originality of it so that that's what's going to take it for me mvp kendall oh Oh, Bobby Moynihan. Yeah. I'm going to give it to him. I mean, he, he, you know, he blew it out of the water on all the sketches he was in. But of course, like drunk uncle just went out with a bang. So Bobby Moynihan. Yep. Yep. Steve, you really only have two choices because the show consciously tried to put Vanessa and Bobby in pretty much every sketch of the night. So who are you going to choose? Well, out of Vanessa and Bobby, I'm going to have to go with skinny backpack dancing boy yeah okay hey <laughs> i mean it's a no-brainer he really knocked it out of the park with those arm flailing dance moves oh my goodness that russell i tell you russell you <laughs> rustled my jimmies <laughs> okay but in all seriousness i'm also going with bobby and not just because it's his last episode and i want to you know just hand it over to him mm-hmm. they gave him more screen time Probably because it is his last episode, but you give anything to Bobby and he'll run with it and make comedy gold. Like he could take hay and spin it into comedic genius, like some kind of comedy Rumpelstiltskin. (laughs) He's, he's just the best. And yeah, like you give him a a bit of extra time on the show. He's just going to naturally be the MVP pick for me. If it's just purely a screen time thing, Bobby takes it, but I can't think of anything from this entire season where Bobby didn't take whatever he was given, small or big, background part, sight gag, leading role, whatever it was that Bobby was doing, there isn't a single thing I can point to that wasn't top-notch, that wasn't genius, that wasn't just elevated beyond what I would have expected for that character. So got to give it to Bobby. I think uh, we're all in agreement on that one. Now, the big question. On a scale of classic, great, typical, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? We'll start with you, Kendall. Ooh, I'd say classic. Classic. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. You are right up there. Yeah. So yeah, you were really warm on this episode. Let's break that down though, because classic means something different to everyone. So why is this episode classic to you? Because there were so many moments that I think I will think back about. And I think even that we would reference in pop culture after the fact. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you were really, really hot on this episode. I dig it. Awesome. Steve, what do you think? Classic, great, typical week or train wreck? 
Uh, well, if I had to pick one of those four, I'd have to go with uh, Dancing Backpack Boys. <laughs> sure. Hey! <laughs> that really sums up how I feel about this episode. Okay. So I'll give it that rating. Got it. You felt it started out a little slow, but continued to accelerate to the point of frenetic insanity. That's your hot yeah. take on the show? Okay, got it. It went back and forth, you know. (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) I would actually give it a typical bordering on week. Okay. And I considered giving it a week because it did have some moments that uh, didn't work out so well for me. But, you know, with all the amazing bits from uh, Vanessa and from Bobby, that bumps it up a level. So I'm sticking with typical for my uh, rating. Yeah, no, that's fair. We have had some shows that are very even that maybe didn't ascend to any great heights, but there weren't any weak moments. And so those are solid typicals, very easy to assess them as such. This one was a lot more difficult for me to peg because on the one hand, it had some really fun moments. The Cartier sketch was fun. Um, a couple of the other live sketches were really satisfying and smart. So there, there were some really great moments and the host, uh, the rock is a great host. It, it had a lot working for it right out of the gate, but I kind of feel like I have to grade this as a finale, not just as a regular outing of SNL, because you know that they're going to shoot high with the finale. You know that this is the one where they're going to pull out all the stops. There's going to be celebrity cameos. There's going to be big moments They're They're going to shoot higher with this one. So if I'm going to grade it, I really have to say as a finale, is it typical week, great classic, whatever. And it was really challenging. It really was because I wanted to see something really, really satisfying as a send off for Bobby and Vanessa. And the big tragedy for me of this show is that the 10 to one didn't give that to me the way that I wanted it to. And that really kind of bummed me out. There was a lot to like about the show. And if this was a mid season show, then I think it would be somewhere in the high typical, maybe bordering on great because it did have some really satisfying moments. But as a finale, I actually do feel like this was a surprisingly weak finale compared to how strong season 42 is and just how good most of SNL's finale episodes are, I felt like this one didn't quite get there. So I'm actually going to veer on the the weak side of the scale for this one. And I hate to say it because this is Bobby and Vanessa's send off. And I really, really wanted to just be all in on it. And I really wanted season 42 to stick the landing. And I just, I don't feel like they did it. I, I don't feel like they quite got there on this one. And uh, that doesn't mean that it somehow casts a pall over the whole season. This is still one for the books. But uh, yeah, I feel like they just kind of ran out of steam a little bit. So yeah, I'm, I'm going with weak, but like most SNL, it, it certainly had its moments and uh, I was very happy to be tuning in and watching it. So there there's still satisfaction, even when, at least in my opinion, the, the episode doesn't quite get there as much as maybe I wasn't super warm on the finale season 42 in general has got me super stoked for the future of the show. And I'm so glad that we ramped up the podcast when we did, because this is definitely the era that you, you want to be talking about SNL because there's something to say. And uh, I hope they keep it going for season 43. With that said, we should probably cap it because we're going to be back in two weeks to do a season 42 retrospective blowout episode. So we don't want (laughs) to give away all of our best material quite yet. We got to hold on to something. Yeah, we got to hold on to something. (laughs) So with that said, uh, thank you so much, Kendall, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. And uh, I think think we covered some good ground tonight. And it was really, really great having you up. And I thank you so much. I can't thank you guys enough for having me. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Before we head out, though, did you want to mention any of your upcoming dates again, just so that if people are interested in checking you out, they can find you? Yeah, sure. 
I will be at Stand Up New York hosting um, on June 29th here in New York City on the Upper West Side. I will also be at the QED in Queens on June 8th, as well as on July 13th, all of which you can find at my website, kendallketchum.com. And that's a cast. Thanks to our very special guest, Kendall Ketchum. You can connect with Kendall at kendallketchum.com. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon and other affiliate links found at snlafterparty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our costs and is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in two weeks for our season 42 postseason extravaganza. This has been episode number 23 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. What an amazing show. Thank you to Carrie Faith, Katie Perry, Migos, Alec Baldwin, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, yes. And I'll tell you what, what an incredible season this cast has had. 17 years ago, I hosted this show, and it changed everything for me. I'm so thankful. I want to thank SNL, Lauren Michaels. I want to thank all of you. We love you. And remember, America, in 2020, Johnson Hanks. Good night. The trunk uncle. So I'm not, so I'm not big on speech body, okay? So I am not Groot, okay? So I'm, so I'm not eight fast, eight furious, okay? That's not me. It's not anyone. Hey, trunk uncle. Hey, hey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's in there. Yes, pulling, pulling in my mouth. Colin, yeah, yeah. You're my best friend. Oh, that's insane. Colin, best friend. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Do a shot with me. <laughs> Do a shot. Do a shot. With Do a shot. With me. Come on, one for the road, please. Just. But I can't. I'm here. Do one shot with me, right? Come on. Do a shot with me. Okay. 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 All right, Great. for you, I'll do one shot. Thank you. Okay, Thank you. you first. There's one empty table and five bullets. Drunk uncle, everyone. Never gonna get